Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times That uh, with your 2023 NXT Great American Bash instant reaction. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just minutes after NXT Great American Bash went off the air to break down every single match that happened on this loaded card Sunday night. We're going to tell you what went down in the matches themselves. We're going to give you analysis, grades. We're going to do it all right here on this very special instant reaction episode. Before we get into that, and we badly want to get into it, allow me off the top to remind you that this podcast is all about Defy. So remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and all of that good stuff, but also so you can vote in our pre- and post-show polls around premium live events and pay-per-views. Later in this show, we will give you final grades on NXT Great American Bash, but we're also gonna look back at our pre-show expectation grades and all of our listeners are getting overheads. We're able to provide their perspective both before the show and after the show so you get my take, but you also get the general take of our audience as well. Also, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well because for just five bucks a month, you can become an official getting overhead by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, signing up five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year. You support the show. You also get bonus audio, news posts, and a lot more. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Now, this is the part of the show where I would normally crack open a cold one and enjoy an adult beverage while I break down everything that's going on. Unfortunately, Vintage Chris Vanini will not be here with me for this instant reaction. So since I can't pause, the last thing I want to do is open a great craft beer and have it sit on my desk and get warm while I break this down for however long we're about to do it. So we're going to save that for next week, of course, WWE SummerSlam. I should note right before we get into this instant reaction, we had a loaded week of shows. Among those, we had an interview one-on-one with NXT's Roxanne Perez that you definitely do not want to miss. I also sat down with WWE's The Street Profits. Two interviews in this past week shows. And of course, this coming week, it's all about SummerSlam. We'll have a WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview and the same type of instant reaction show Saturday as soon as SummerSlam goes off the air. With all of that said, let's get into this NXT Great American Bash instant reaction. Cody Rhodes did the voiceover for the cold open, which was all about Dusty Rhodes, the Great American Bash event, and Dusty's impact on NXT. The arena looked great, blue and red lights in the crowd, white ropes, a beautiful stage, extra lights, and a big Texas star in the middle. Just very eye-catching the entire night. Let's get to it. We're going to start with the main event. We're going to work our way down the card based on match importance, not necessarily the opposite order in which they were given to us. And again, we are going to break down everything that happened in the matches with analysis, grades, and at the end, we're going to give you an overall grade for NXT Great American Bash. So let's start as the show ended. NXT Championship on the line, Carmelo Hayes defending against Isla Dragunov. Backstage before the match, Trick Williams said Dragunov would never understand their friendship. He also made a few Texas Longhorns references before saying Melo will show the world why he is him. Trick was decked out in this 
red cutoff jean vest and black cowboy hat. And he also joined Mello ringside for the match itself. Dragunov had the blood red contacts. Mello came out to his standard banner type of entrance, but with the famous Dusty Rhodes quote, get a dream, hold on to it and shoot for the sky. He used that instead of the banners of people he's beaten. Fans appreciated Isla, but Mello was definitely the baby face in this match. Dragunov caught Hayes flying for a German suplex, adding three more of them. Isla dominated for a big portion, I'd say of the first half of the match. He destroyed Mello with ground offense, forearms, dozens of chops. Mello ate three chops, but kipped up for a super kick, only to get drilled with Constantine special. Isla then put him in a wrist choke with body scissors. For anyone who watched the Spence Crawford boxing match Saturday night, this was basically Dragunov as Crawford and Hayes as Spence for like 15 minutes, I would say. Isla hit two grip forearm lariats only for Mello to reverse it and just straight boot him in the face five times. Mello eventually got momentum back with that tornado kind of armbar takedown. Really cool spot. Isla escaped first 48. He delivered hammer elbows. Mello came back with a half dozen to the back of his neck. Half dozen like forearms, I think it was. Then he avoided Constantine special, countering with a springboard DDT. Dragunov hit a huge flying senton. Mello countered coast to coast with a mid-air first 48, which is basically a code breaker. Freaking insane spot. Even better sell by Dragunov, who just like flipped over across the top of his head. It was sick. Uh, Mello immediately tried nothing but net, only for Dragunov to counter mid-air into a powerbomb that looked nasty, but Mello was okay. Then he hit the falling forearm for a 2.9 false finish. Mello countered a superplex mid-air into an avalanche cutter for another 2.9 false finish. Trick grabbed the title, and brought it up to Mello to motivate him, screaming, are you a fraud or are you a champion? He told him it's the fourth quarter. It's time to get the job done. After another sequence, Trick again motivated Mello outside with the title, only for Williams to eat a flying headbutt off the steps from Dragunov. Now, it was tough to tell if Trick shoved Mello or just ate the move. It looked like Mello avoided it more than Trick sacrificed himself for him. Dragunov also may have taken the header into the title. Either way, Hayes capitalized by rolling him into the ring and hitting nothing but net to retain the title in 25 minutes, capping an exceptional main event. Now, I didn't mean to go as heavy on the breakdown here. I just thought the match was going to be shorter. So I, the, some of the stuff I wrote down, I wouldn't have if I knew it was going to be this long. Anyway, as I just said, this was exceptional. Mellow's selling of Isla's stiff strikes was phenomenal, though it probably isn't that hard to sell legitimate pain. His chest was covered in blood blisters. Dragunov again proved why he is one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, yet still underrated given he is not spoken about as one of the greatest wrestlers in the world. This was in many ways a prove-it moment for Mello and a make-it moment for Dragunov. When I say that, I mean, okay, it's one thing when Dragunov is fighting Gunther. Like, these are two of the best wrestlers in the world, so of course they're going to have five-star matches and they're going to get lauded with praise. But for Dragunov now to be able to put on matches of this caliber with Dijak and Carmelo Hayes, and nothing against Dijak or Carmelo Hayes, both of whom are fantastic wrestlers, but he is that key that made both of those matches special. Mello proved it with the single best one-on-one -on -one match of his career. Not really a surprise given it was Dragunov, but before this, his best match was against Ricochet at Worlds Collide 15 months ago. This fully legitimized him as NXT champion, despite the finish, which was smartly done. It protected Dragunov. 
I do wish Mello won squeaky clean completely of his own doing, but the reason this finish worked is because it was Isla being a daredevil that cost him. Trick did not actively attempt to interfere. He did not use the title on Isla, and Mello didn't set it up that way. It's just what happened because Dragunov was feeling himself and decided to take that huge risk. And therefore, it was not the same to the way Mello won the title initially when he beat Braun Breaker and Trick kind of helped him. I will admit, Trick holding the title ringside, coming off the NXT storyline where Isla beat the shit out of him on Tuesday, I had a really bad feeling he might drill Mello with the title at some point. Thank heavens that did not happen because these two should never break up. Well, they at least should not break up until they're together on the main roster for multiple years, and then eventually it can happen. But this is what Mello needed, and it's what the NXT title needed coming off of Breaker's extremely rough run with it. Hayes working that stiff against Dragunov, it proved a lot. He's not built like Gunther. He's not built like Dijak. Some of these big dudes that Isla has beaten the shit out of. This could have been on any major show this year and been in the conversation for match of the night. They could rematch this on SummerSlam next week and possibly steal the show. What we got Sunday night was a top five WWE match of the year so far. You had the banger intercontinental triple threat at WrestleMania. I gave that five stars. The Usos, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn at WrestleMania, I gave that five stars. Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania, I gave that five stars. And then you had Dijak and Dragunov at Battleground, and I forget if I went 4.75 or 5 for that, but it was an A+. And this is as well. 4.75 stars, A+, for Sunday's main event. I'm going to rewatch this before next week's NXT show to determine whether I go to a full five stars. The only thing holding me back right now was the first half was quite one-sided. There wasn't much in-ring movement. And then obviously it completely picked up over the second half, but they did that to tell a story. Either way, like I said, top five WWE match of the year, an A+, an absolute must watch. If you are listening to this podcast as a means of deciding whether to watch Great American Bash or which matches to watch from the card, I mean, I could keep talking about this. We have a lot more to get to. And I gotta tell you, once I finish this and publish it for you, I need to pour a glass of whiskey and rewatch this match probably before I go to bed. So let's keep going. This was absolutely fantastic. We had the women's championship match between Tiffany Stratton and Thea Hale. This was submission only. It was also the penultimate match on the show. Both women had special entrances with Hale's obviously university themed. Stratton was a cowgirl Barbie theme that was obviously perfect. Smart to lean into that. Stratton hit her double handspring elbow to Hale's back then bent her over her shoulder in a wrist lock. Tiffy luckily avoided disaster, taking a backdrop. She landed on like her upper shoulders and lower neck. Then she caught Thea springing off the ropes with body scissors. Stratton avoided a Kimura lock with an exploder suplex into the corner. Hale interrupted prettiest moonsault ever by hitting an avalanche exploder suplex and locking in a Kimura. Stratton actually screwed up here. She tapped the canvas twice. It was not a full tap out. Usually that's three plus, but she tapped it twice And the crowd went wild, as they should, because it probably should have ended the match. But instead, she grabbed the bottom rope, pulled herself outside, then worked Hale's injured back, throwing her into the steel steps, and then hitting prettiest moonsault ever onto her back, back inside the ring. Then she put Thea in a deep Boston Crab, sitting down on her lower back. But Stratton kept losing her grip because she held the move for so long and just clearly did not have the upper body strength to maintain it. 
they probably should have tested that out because, and I speak from experience here, this is very difficult to keep someone in a Boston Crab for that period of time unless you have that upper body strength. I, you know, wrestling with friends and, and, you know, doing moves back in college and all this. I remember doing Boston crabs and sharpshooters and all that type of stuff. And you try to hold that up as someone who does not work out upper body, especially then did not work out upper body. And I mean, I don't know, I had 30 seconds maybe, and then I couldn't hold on to it. She was trying to do it for multiple minutes. And the truth is she just doesn't really have that upper body strength. Eventually Stratton dragged Hale into the middle of the ring she put her knee fully into Thea's lower back with a single leg grab. Andre Chase throws in the towel, ends the match after 11 minutes. Now, the fact that he had a towel around his neck the entire time made this finish blatantly obvious before it even began. You tuck that into your waist. Maybe someone sees it as they're walking down. You pay it no mind. It comes out the end. The person that has it is really frustrated over whether or not to throw it. You have Duke Hudson come over. They argue about it. Chase throws it in. They didn't do any of that. It was just around his neck, and then he made the singular decision to throw it into the ring. Now, the throw-in of the towel got booed, as it usually does when a baby face, you know, is part of that. It probably would have gone over better if Stratton was able to maintain the crab and Hale was able to consistently sell the pain. Instead, Tiffany losing it like five times, losing her grip, that was crazy distracting, and it kept giving Thea in kayfabe breaks from the pain. So it's really tough to do a throw-in-the-towel finish when the submission and the pain is not maintained. The truth is, this was actually a really well-structured match that just suffered from a lack of execution by the competitors. Hale has a lot of spunk and ability for someone who's just a year out of high school, but she's still rough around the edges when it comes to like the consistency of completing moves. Stratton is nearly the entire package, but I would say we saw a significant flaw exposed here, that being her overall strength. You are not going to see Charlotte Flair or Bianca Belair or Rhea Ripley, or you know what? Even Becky Lynch failing in that way. And yes, I realize those first three, Flair, Belair, and Ripley are like, Freaks of nature, they're top tier athletes and very strong in the upper body. But Stratton is a top tier athlete as well. And she is really supposed to be the next in that line of top tier female athletes in the company. And if she wants to be compared to them and if WWE wants her at that level, she is going to need to work on her upper body strength, period. Now, there is a chance I'm being a little bit overly critical here because she might have gotten hurt at that spot I mentioned earlier, and she did lift Thea a ton in this match, so it's possible she was physically tired as well. But still, I go back to the fact on the latter point, they definitely practiced this match, and if you're going to practice it, you have to assume that Thea was being carried the same way and Stratton was utilizing her upper body in a similar manner, and they tried to do the Boston Crab for long stretches. So something was off here, and it's tough to pinpoint it doing this live right after the show. I'm going 3.25 stars B here. This had probably a four-star ceiling, but it just wasn't reached because of all the reasons I just mentioned. It was still a good women's title match, worthy for Great American Bash. Surely the storyline's probably gonna create some animosity or something within Chase U. Someone needs to be upset that Chase threw in the towel, and Hale needs to be away from the title picture anyway, so it was the right finish for the match. One other note, 
My hope was that Stratton would debut a new submission move that was special to her. Maybe the single leg crab with the knee will be that move, but it just didn't seem to be unique to her at all. Just something that she used for this match to win via submission. So we'll see if that is part of her repertoire going forward, if they give it a name, or if indeed it was just for one night only. The North American Championship was on the line. Dominic Mysterio defending against Wesley and Mustafa Ali in a triple threat. Rhea Ripley was with Dom, who did some chicken shit heel stuff before the bell and didn't really get involved until he shoved both faces off the top rope after letting them wrestle. Dom got two amigos, then tried to do a third with both of the faces, only for them to counter him into a two-on-one three amigo sequence, which was great. Ali then simultaneously put Wes in a Boston Crab while having Dom in a camel clutch. He had a pair of super kicks, and with both guys draped over the bottom rope outside, he crashed and burned with a 450 splash onto the ring apron. It was a good-looking spot, but man, was that unnecessary. I mean, that could have really hurt him. Wes dodged a Rhea attack outside, then hit a Topecon hero over her, standing on the ring apron. Ripley got really pissed off. She grabbed Wes from behind, put him through the announce table with Riptide to a massive pop. I mean, this crowd exploded on this. Now, it's a triple threat, so no DQ, of course. She rolled him inside for a 2.9 false finish. Ripley then did a double title distraction with Wes getting drilled with her Women's World Championship for another 2.9 false finish. That sent her into a frenzy. The crowd was going crazy. Ali caught Dom with a kick on the top rope. He was draped outside in a tree of woe. Ali lands a 450 on Wes. Ripley pulls him out of the ring. Then Dom jumps back to the top rope, hits a frog splash, and gets the win to retain the title in 12 minutes. If that sounded chaotic, that's because it was chaotic as hell. I didn't mind one bit because it was exciting and really smart heel tactics, but it would have been much better coming at the end of a longer match. Give this six more minutes. Let it go 18 instead of 12. I wanted to see a lot more from these guys. It never felt like the actual wrestling portion of the match got into gear. In other words, more false finishes from wrestling rather than the cheating that ended the match. But the work was exceptional from everyone involved, including Ripley. Wes taking the fall after a riptide through a table, a belt shot, a 450, and a frog splash with two 2.9 kickouts mixed in there. That is totally fine. Maybe they're actually going to be pushing him into the main event scene coming out of this because he was made to look like an absolute beast in this match. He was the MVP, no doubt. Dom was the right winner because their presence on NXT, it's been a success. Ratings-wise and creatively, it should continue. Plus, they can do the Dragon Lee booking that we've discussed previously. I went four stars and an A- minus for this match. Uh, Lyra Valkyria backstage said her confidence was boosted by going toe-to-toe with Ripley and that she was thirsty for more competition. She said she was focused on the women's championship match when suddenly JC Jane attacked her from behind, ran her into the metal garage door, Ripley walked by laughing, saying she was waiting to see this kind of fire from Lyra. This was a really good setup as a hook for any PLE viewers who don't watch the weekly product. It gave them a reason to tune in Tuesday. Plus, I just love the way Ripley is interacting with Valkyria, and I just kind of hope that she gets called up and becomes a Judgment Day member on the main roster. Or if not that, maybe they do an NXT Judgment Day extension and they grab her, they grab a guy, and it's part of like a sub-faction. That would be really cool. Uh, the Tag Team Championship 
was on the line Gallus against D'Angelo family. This opened the main card with both teams getting special intro videos. Think what you want about Gallus. Their theme slaps. The faces wore jailhouse orange gear and Tony D'Angelo had his prisoner number down the leg, which was really cool. A superplex flying headbutt combo came early for the challengers. Stax ate a pounce style uranagi plus a second rope moonsault from Wolfgang. Joe Coffey tried to feed him the bat in the ring. It was a distraction for a loaded punch from Gallus into the finisher for a broken fall that was nearly missed. They they almost didn't get the break. Tony D then powerbombed Mark onto Wolfgang into the steel steps outside. Joe then hopped in the ring to blindside stacks. Tony D nailed him while he was running at them with a crossbar. Tony then hip-tossed stacks over the top rope into both Gallus guys. And then they hit Bada Bing on Wolfgang inside the ring for the one, two, three to become the new tag team champions in eight minutes. This was just a bit too short for my liking. This isn't a TV match. It's a title change on a premium live event. And it's a matchup fans have been waiting to see for a while. You can't go 15 minutes in this match. All these guys can go. They're not neophytes in this ring. These are veteran wrestlers. I mean, Stax is the least veteran out of any of them. And he was arguably the best guy in the match. I mean, probably not, but he, he held his own completely. So why could this not go 15 minutes? It's the sh- it's the opener of the main card. It's the only title change of the night. It's a match we've been waiting for. And you go eight. I didn't like that. Now we did get the right winners because the tag team division did need to get refreshed. But the return of Joe months ago did give da- Gallus a bit of life that it didn't have when he was absent. It seemed like the champions just went down a little bit too easy here. The crowd loved it, though. I went three stars and a B minus. I still believe the goal should be to strap up Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza before Thanksgiving. So hopefully this is a run that elevates D'Angelo family, but isn't something that's crazy long term because Carrillo and Garza need those titles. I also want to give credit to Tony D. He seemingly got in damn good shape during this time he was away. Uh, Roxanne Perez fought Blair Davenport in a Weapons Wild match. Roxy was decked out in Texas gear and Daisy Dukes. If you didn't already know, she was home. She hugged her family when Blair attacked out of the crowd to start the match. Perez took chair shots and got beaten with a cattle brand with a trash can around her. Obviously, the cattle brand was not heated up. Roxy did a Van Damme-style chair toss shotgun dropkick. Blair screamed at her family with Roxy's little sister crying. I'm like 95% sure she was acting and good on her for playing into the kayfabe. That was great. Uh, Each of them used Blair's belt as a strap to fling the other into the barricade. Perez got a bull rope from under the ring. She got a huge pop on that. Then she set up a table to another big pop and she got a Roxy chant. Davenport delivered a falcon arrow into a trash can. Blair kicked Roxy off the apron and she came like six inches away from her head, hitting the corner of the steel steps. A yikes in the moment, but lucky that nothing happened. Perez drilled Davenport's head into the steel steps with a running knee. Then she splashed her off the top rope through the table outside. Her mom loved it. She was going crazy. It was awesome. Back inside, Roxy caught Blair with Pop Rocks into a pile of steel chairs to get the win in 12 minutes. Now, if you didn't know it already, Roxanne Perez is a legitimate star in the making. One might say... Roxanne Perez has it. You know, this is Great American Bash. We're talking Dusty Rhodes. Let me play the other one. You have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. She is it. And I'm not just saying that because we interviewed her this week. Go listen to that. 
if you have not already. But a lot of folks deserve credit for this match coming off as well as it did. First, Roxy and Blair, they were great. No notes for either of them. But the agent, whoever it was who decided they should spend 50% of this match, maybe more, at ringside directly in front of Roxy's family, it completely elevated the match. Usually when there's family ringside, you only get like a short burst, you know, 90 seconds, maybe two minutes, three minutes right in front of them with, you know, the heel taunting the family and all that. But their reactions really helped ratchet up the intensity throughout the entire match. And then credit to production for getting all of those key shots. Plus, credit to Shawn Michaels for giving them the exact right amount of time. When you have a weapons match like this, it can drag. It can, it can be too short, but it can also drag and be too long. 12 minutes was perfect for this. The only thing keeping this from a higher grade is we didn't actually get that much wrestling. They spent so much time outside that in the ring, the sequences were short. We didn't really get false finishes. It just wasn't that kind of match. So because of that, I can't go to that excellent tier, but it was ju about just as good as it could have been for the way it was booked, 3.75 stars and a B plus. I should also note, this was Blair's most prominent and best match since moving to the United States. And she has a significantly high ceiling herself, as of course does Roxy. I don't want that to get lost in all the praise of Perez because both of them were great. And the truth is, both of them are main roster ready, more so than the two women in the actual title match on the show. Gable Stevenson fought Baron Corbin. Corbin came out with a phrase that said, burn the ships, and his Titantron had imagery of a pirate ship burning. We'll get to that later. Stevenson came out in amateur wrestling gear with an American flag. His theme was absolutely nothing special. There were multiple Corbin chants, and he got consistent cheers throughout the entire match, with Stevenson mostly being booed by the smart crowd. Stevenson hit a German suplex outside. Corbin dominated for a while after. Gable hit three belly-to-bellies. They fought outside. They threw each other over the announce table, and there was a double countout after six minutes. That, of course, resulted in a bullshit chant, and rightly so. They continued brawling in the ring. A dozen folks tried to separate them. Gable hit a belly-to-belly -belly suplex on one dude. He threw him to Mars. It, that was really impressive. It was the best part of the whole match. Corbin then threw Gable into the ring post, only to get chucked by Stevenson through the barricade. I think it was a belly-to-belly, -belly, but like a side body one through the barricade. Stevenson got booed standing tall in the ring by himself once this ended. Now, this was the first true protest response that a WWE crowd has given a wrestler or maybe a protest to a face heel dynamic in a long time. NXT fans are still quote unquote smarter fans than main roster fans. And there is a significant portion of the IWC, particularly on Reddit, that refused to cheer for Stevenson because he was accused of criminal sexual conduct at Minnesota back in 2019. The long and short of it is Stevenson was never charged. The case was thrown out due to lack of evidence, conflicting stories, and a really arcane law that Minnesota had about sexual assault under the influence of alcohol. The state has since thrown that law out and changed it, which is a huge positive. Despite the fact that Gable was never charged, evidence was never seen by the public, a significant portion of the IWC has decided he's guilty. And you saw that play out here in the response to his appearance in this match. This is a really heavy subject. It's not something we can really get into that deep on an instant reaction show like this. But I did feel it was necessary for that to be explained 
just from a factual standpoint, for those wondering why this happened. I saw a number of uh, listeners and followers on Twitter who were confused by it. I got DMs about it. I got tweets about it. So I figured I would explain it here. It's a deep thing. You really have to read up about the entire situation, make a decision for yourself. You know, you can say that, hey, you know, it was four years ago and nothing ever came of it. So whatever. I mean, you can't really say whatever when it comes to, you know, criminal sexual conduct. And on the other side of things, the claims from the alleged victim, many of her statements that are out there and and what was claimed to have happened, it's disgusting stuff. It just truly is. So, you know, you have to kind of read it all and come to your own conclusion on it. But I just wanted to explain why there is such a sentiment that is anti-Gable Stevenson and why that came out a little bit more in a venue like this than it did in the WWE Performance Center. So again, read up on all that stuff yourself. Maybe we'll talk about it more this week. We'll see how big of a story this becomes in terms of him getting booed, what they do about it. We'll go on from there. Now, in terms of what we got, Stevenson was far too green for someone with his background who has been working in the Performance Center. It's going to be a monumental task for this guy to get over. I mean, there were even you're not angle chants, and that's true. It's damn true. He's just not a natural in the squared circle like Angle was, at least not yet. Kurt took to it like a fish to water. Gable just does not seem to have that charisma to get it done. But again, it's still early. Corbin did seem surprised by the cheers. It also appeared to energize him. And a double countout on a PLE, it is indeed bullshit. They saved a little bit with the post-match brawl, which did bang. But it's still a double countout, not a real finish. And this didn't really need to be on the card at all. Now, my guess is they're going to go NXT Underground and Gable goes over Corbin that way. I do suppose this result was better than Stevenson beating Corbin outright in his first match. I said on the Ultimate Preview, that is ridiculous. They shouldn't have even been booked. At least they didn't do that. But as I said on that show, it was dumb to do the matchup at all. And it was bad booking Sunday to book Gable in a situation where he had to sell basically for an entire match to a big-time veteran like Corbin. When someone makes a debut like this, you want them to beat someone with relative ease. Lastly, this burn the ships gimmick. It does make sense for Corbin if you know what it means. Burn the ships refers to destroying what you were, what you used to be so completely, turning it to ash that you cannot go back. The problem is without any explanation or context to that, and with a literal pirate ship as part of the Titantron, any casual observer would be left scratching their head. Even though I had like an inkling of what it meant, I Googled it just to double check because I'm coming on here to do a podcast and I'm like, I don't want to say that's what it is and come out like a dumbass when it's literally a pirate gimmick. You know, I, I had to like double and triple check to make sure. But remember what I said on the Ultimate Preview. They jumped from weeks of vignettes to suddenly him returning to challenge Stevenson with no actual new gimmick made for him in that moment. All they had to do in that segment with Corbin and Stevenson, you have Corbin say something like, I burned my ships. I'm not going back to who I used to be, and you won't be able to either once I'm done with you. Boom, done. Gimmick explained, you can use burn the ships, you can use the pirate imagery, no one's getting confused. Instead, it was a really sloppy unveiling, and when the whole reason Corbin is in NXT is to completely rehab his gimmick, 
botching the debut of the new gimmick. I mean, what are you doing? They did such a good job with all those vignettes. And then they just said, eh, let's just put them on, you know, let's just give them a match and we'll we'll do it at the PLE. It didn't work. Now they're going to have to explain it Tuesday on NXT. And I hope they explain it. I hope they don't just assume everyone understands what burn the ships means. It's not a common saying. It's not something people go around uttering where you say, oh, burn the ships. I, I get it. It makes sense. It, it's a very specific type of phrase. And again, I really don't think most people know it. Two stars and a C minus for the match. That might be a bit generous. I usually don't go below two stars unless something is truly awful. And this was not awful. It just was very below average. Now we had Nathan Frazier, Dragon Lee, Ulisa Leone, and Valentina Ferois against Metaphor in a mixed eight-person tag team match. This was on the kickoff show. Lash Legend overshot a standing moonsault. Jakara Jackson tried wrestling with sunglasses on her head for some reason. And then Leon Ferois forgot who was legal. In other words, not the best start to this match. Leon caught Legend with a Huracarana before Dragon took Oro Mensa off the apron with one outside. Legend also booted Frazier after he hit Tope Suicida outside. Frazier hit a springboard flip inverted DDT with Jackson saving Noam Dar from a Phoenix Splash. Ferois hit Legend with a springboard tornado DDT, then got a shot on Dar. There was a great sequence with Dragon and Mensa. Frazier also took Mensa off the ropes with a sidecar springboard Spanish fly. And Dragon then tagged in and hit Destino on Mensa for the win in 11 minutes. This was also chaotic as hell, but it completely over-delivered from an action and entertainment standpoint. And there was consistent tagging throughout. Despite it being chaotic, the tags happened constantly, plus really smart interactions between the men and women to keep this interesting. Most importantly, the fall did not involve either of the men in the you know meat of the feud. So we are still clear for Frazier and Dar head-to-head for the Heritage Cup sooner than later. Notice here, by the way, how commentary made it crystal clear Dar was carrying around a fake cup as opposed to trying to like give justification as if his prize was somehow legitimate. A stark contrast to what happened Saturday night on TNT. We'll discuss that on Thursday. I also want to point out Leon and Freus, they are almost there. Like another six months, and they could be a really nice low-card team on the main roster who could be used in a lot of ways and would probably draw a lot of fan favor. They are talented luchadoras. Always impressed by them every time they get a featured spot. It's just, I think there was an injury to one of them recently. They got taken off TV. It's been inconsistent booking for them. But when they get to wrestle... They are really damn good together. Anyway, this was a blast. It set the bar high for the entire show. Given it was the kickoff match, I went 3.5 stars and a B. Now, later backstage before the main event, Ripley laughed at Dragon Lee, calling him a wannabe Rey Mysterio. He talked trash to Dom, who said he made the Mysterio name relevant, and his dad only wanted to help Dragon because he's a similar size, while Dom is an original. Now, we've been telling you this is going down. Boom, there it is. The question is whether they can stretch this until no mercy in exactly two months. There was also a social media clip from Gorilla Position of Dom refusing to shake Shawn Michaels' hand. HBK said Ray should have spanked him as a kid. That was fun. So again, we wait and find out when is this match going to happen. I believe if memory serves, there was a Charlotte Flair Natalia match with Bret Hart and Ric Flair in their corners on NXT right at the beginning of NXT. And that was 
one of the best matches of Natalia's career, if memory serves. So I do wonder if they try to pop a big rating on TV and do Dragon Lee, Dominic Mysterio with Rey Mysterio and Rhea Ripley there in the main event of TV, or if they drag this all the way out to No Mercy and do it on that show. Again, it's exactly two months away. We'll find out soon. We also saw a clip of Schism arguing from NXT on Tuesday about the two members who interfered in their match. The dyad insisted those who interfered were the Creed brothers without saying their name. Ava decided they would do an interrogation of all of their followers next week, making them remove their masks one by one to determine who screwed them over. I still don't get how the whole thing is legal with Losers Leave Town, the Creed still being there, but we'll find out what they decide to do on Tuesday. And folks, that is your instant reaction for NXT Great American Bash. With that said, let's go ahead and move to the grades. We're going to start with the pre-show expectation grades. Coming in, I was at a B plus. I don't remember if I gave a number, but it would have been an 87 or 88 out of 100. The listeners in our pre-show poll on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, they came in 28% A, 71% B, 0% C, 1% D or F. I don't know how anyone could ever say that, so it was probably a troll vote. 88 out of 100 or a B plus. So we were on the exact same page coming into the show. But the question remains, where are we coming out of the show? Well, there's still 15 minutes on the poll as I tape this, but at this juncture, we are at 31% A, 59% B, and 9% C. And that averages out to a flat 87 out of 100. So the bottom level of a B plus for the listeners. So look, there were six matches on this main card, plus the kickoff show match, which I gave a B, obviously. Half of the matches on the main card had finishes that were either illegitimate or blatant cheating. So you had the double countout, the thrown towel, and Ripley blatantly helping Dom, even though it was a couple of real moves that ended that match. I would say that's too much for one show. I also look at Battleground, and I know you can't necessarily judge a show like this by looking at a different show and comparing them because it's what you think about the show in the moment. But Battleground set such a high bar for NXT events because that basically felt like the return of NXT TakeOver. It was by far the best NXT premium live event we had gotten since the switch to 2.0 a couple of years ago, and obviously now to the white and gold brand or whatever you want to call what they're doing currently. This had a takeover level main event on Sunday night, and I would say Weapons Wild was also takeover level. Almost everything else paled in comparison, the exception being the North American title match, which was great. It was just not to the level of what North American title matches used to be on takeovers. So we're kind of dealing with half a show that was some combination of unclean, cheating, disappointing, at least from a finish perspective, and then another half of a show that banged. I mean, if you just straight up took Steveson Corbin and I would say even the NXT tag team title match, you removed them from the show. I think everyone's saying this is an A minus card. I think the, the best of what we got was damn good, but there were some parts of the show that just dragged down the rest. And I don't mean to denigrate the tag team title match because that was entertaining as hell. It just wasn't necessarily great is all I'm trying to say. So I'm right on that edge again. Like, I'm, is it an 87? Is it an 86? 
It's at worst a high B as far as I'm concerned. At best, a low B plus. It didn't have anywhere near enough to be on the upper end of the B plus and A minus or anything higher than that. And I respect everyone, you know, 31% of you, almost 32 now that I'm looking at it, that gave it an A. If you loved it, great. I think that might be overreacting a little bit to the main event. We pointed out some of the flaws in the rest of the show, the women's title match, the finish didn't really live up to the rest of it. It was a little sloppy in parts. I'm not going to go over everything again. I think ultimately I'm going to fall in line with where you, the listeners are. I think I'm going to say 87 out of hundred. So a B plus for the entire show. The main event was so freaking good. Forget good, great, exceptional, fantastic. You can pick your adjective. We also had an A North American title match, a B plus women's match with the weapons wild. And most of the rest of the show was above average. I mean, the women's and tag team title match, I think I both had in the B range. The the kickoff show was good. It was just a couple where, you know, the Corbin match in particular, where it was like, man, why did they even bother putting this on the show? It was such a downer when everything else was really so high quality and so interesting. It just didn't hold the interest like everything else did. And it certainly didn't deliver. So we're all pretty much on the same page. It was a B plus going in, a B plus coming out. That means it was a successful show. Again, did not live up to NXT Battleground, but what did we get on the show? We closed with a nearly half hour main event. That was a top five WWE match of the year. Tough to ask for a lot more than that. And whether that's still top five coming out of SummerSlam, we'll find out because I have a feeling there's going to be a few matches on that show that are straight up bangers. I'm also realizing now, since I was by myself the whole show, I didn't get that many sound drops in. So Seamus, what kind of match was that? Banger. Thank you very much. All right, folks, look, uh, this was the instant reaction for NXT Great American Bash. I appreciate all of you joining us for it. We have an absolutely loaded week coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Tuesday, we will have your WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, we will break down everything that happened on NXT coming out of Great American Bash, and we'll be covering your entire week in AEW, including that FTR, Adam Cole, and MJF tag team title match from Collision, what happened with CM Punk on that show, and a lot more. All of that on Thursday with NXT. And then Saturday night, as soon as SummerSlam goes off the air, we will have your WWE SummerSlam instant reaction. Do not forget to listen back this past week to my interviews with Roxanne Perez and the Street Profits. Join us next week for all of our shows. We love bringing the Getting Over Wrestling podcast to you, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we do. If so, I'd appreciate it if you remember that on this podcast, it's all about Defy. And I would love you to visit Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read that review live right here on the show. I also ask you to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news, analysis, and highlights, but so you can vote in those same pre- and post-show polls for SummerSlam, just like many of you did for NXT Battleground. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And if you want to support the show, $5 a month, $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash over. Sign up. Make that donation to us. Not only will you support myself, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Manini, not only will you help pay our hosting costs, our equipment costs, all of that good stuff, you will get news posts and bonus audio posts every single week. Again, 
buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you all so much for your time tonight. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Performance Enhancing Audio. Like I said, we have a huge week with WWE SummerSlam coming up. So at this point, it is time for the Silver King to save his voice, sign off, and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.